Well, good morning, TCC. Thank you for those of you who have joined us here in person and for those of you who are joining us online. It's great to, to have you. If that passage of Scripture sounded familiar to you, if you're like, haven't I heard this somewhere before, uh, you'd be right, uh, especially if you either watched the service online last week or were here in person because it's the same passage that we looked at last week. We're just taking a couple of weeks here kind of post-Easter to consider what it means to be the church. And for us, it just seems like a timely and relevant time for us to remind ourselves of what the church is or who the church is and what the church does. Because the who question and the what question and the why question is a lot more important than the how question. Because how we do it may change as long as we understand the foundation upon which uh, the church exists and why uh, we do this thing called church. And, uh, and really, it's a huge topic. And there are many uh, passages in Scripture that we could spend some time diving into. Um, but we've chosen this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, um, primarily because there's three exhortations, but one that we're kind of focusing on in particular. And those are just simply, let us draw near to God. And absolutely, yes, we should do that. And then there's, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. We've just come out of Easter. We've just professed our hope uh, in the resurrection and uh, the, the, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and all of the hope that comes with us, no guilt uh, in life, no fear in death. That is about a very hopeful message. And then this last uh, exhortation, let us consider how we might encourage one another. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Adam focused on this, this piece of meeting together, not neglecting meeting together. And he focused on the church as a gathered community. And it is truly something that we can't neglect, even though uh, cir- circumstances may be such that we, we can't pursue that. But it has to be the longing and the desire of our heart to be able to pursue uh, that gathered community, that gathered expression of the church. And and this week, I'll look at another piece of this encouragement where it talks about let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so just as Pastor Adam talked about the gathered community, I want to talk about the scattered community. And my hope is that I'll be just very practical about this. And uh, The danger, of course, in doing a topic that's this broad is there's so many ideas floating around in my head. Some might come out, some might not, and then there'll be a little snippet, and you're like, I wish you said more about that, and so I'm probably going to just fail miserably at this in in so many respects. But uh, I like this idea of spurring one another on. Uh, Some translations talk about stir one another on or provoke one another. It's this idea of like really encouraging one another, and I like the image of a spur. Um, I can't help but think about, uh, you know, a cowboy riding a horse, and he's got those spurs on there to kind of get the horse going, right? And every once in a while, as followers of Jesus, we need a little bit of a spur in the you-know-what to get us going and to to get us to respond and to do the things that we know that we're supposed to do. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. But you know how I feel a little bit today? I feel a little bit like that batter who comes up, let's say it's the, the... you're probably not baseball fans. I mean, that's kind of an American thing, I know. But I do like some baseball, especially World Series. But it's kind of that, that metaphor of um, 
It's the top of the ninth, bases loaded, and the batter before you hits a grand slam home run, clears the, clears the bases, and you just got to get through the bottom of the ninth, and you've won the game. But you're kind of standing there watching everybody celebrate, and then you get up to bat, and you're just hoping that you don't strike out. And I feel a little bit like that because I thought Pastor Adam last week hit a home run and just knocked it out of the park. And, uh, and so I'm just hoping that, like I said, I don't, I don't strike out at this. Um, but I want to just remind you, uh, if you didn't uh, hear that message or see that message, whether it was online or elsewhere, that you would go back and listen to it because I think it really is important to put all of this in context. And I was going to do just a bit of review and I decided I'm not going to do that and I'll just uh, direct you to the, to the YouTube channel and you can easily find uh, the message there about who we are, um, just understanding how important it is for us to establish that foundation and then to understand understand what we do, especially when we gather as God's people. And so uh, we know from Scripture uh, what the church is and who the church is and what the church does. And so we also have, though, the example of the early church. And I love reading the book of Acts. And, and because the book of Acts is really the, the story of the unfolding of the church. And, and it really starts in chapter 1 where Jesus is still present with his disciples. And it talks there about there's about 120 followers that had gathered. And, uh, and Jesus gathers them and he declares to them that he's going to be leaving. But one will come and, and the Holy Spirit is going to come and give them power. And they're going to be the witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very end of the earth. They're going to go and make a difference in the world. And then the rest of Acts is just the unfolding of of this uh, story of the early church. And right away in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, you have this beautiful picture of some of the things that the church is committed to. They're devoted to these things. And they're devoted to things like the apostles' teaching, that they're this learning community. They understand that they don't know everything, that there's still lots to learn, and, uh, and we're going to go on this journey of discovering, learning together. They're devoted to fellowship. This idea of, of uh, where you see regular, they're breaking of bread, they're committing themselves to one another in community, this gathering together. They're devoted to worship and, and the heavy emphasis on prayer, but just this sense of awe and wonder uh, and this, this, this wonderful expression of worship. You also see there an element of of serving, where this early church was this beautiful community where if anyone had needs, the others came alongside and supported and helped one another and they cared for one another. And in the midst of all of that, they were also an evangelistic community. They were on mission. And this beautiful community that developed was so attractive to those that were watching this unfolding, these Jesus followers. It was like, you know what? I want to be a part of that. I want to know more about that. And they sought that out. And very early on, it talks about, um, and, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And uh, in fact, just previous to that, um, Peter preaches a message and like 3,000 people give their life to follow Jesus Christ. So you just see this massive multiplication and expansion of the church. But in verse 46 of chapter uh, 2, we read this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And so you right away have this picture, right? That, That they're coming together in the temple courts. They're gathering together in a larger community. And then they're, they're going off into their homes.
homes. And there even they're experiencing this community and this fellowship as they break bread together. And so they gathered in the temple courts and then they scattered and met in small groups in their homes. They shared meals together and they just did life on life together. And as this church continued to grow and people were, were drawn into this by the message of the gospel of what Jesus can do and how he can transform our lives and give us hope in our lives, people just kept coming together. And yet, this body faced significant challenges. Most notably, this challenge of persecution. Because for early followers of Jesus... In some instances, their very lives were at stake for talking about Jesus, for following the way. They, and, 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 you know, we just came through Palm Sunday and Easter and the whole message of, of the Messiah and this ruler who would come that everybody was longing for. And everybody was nervous that there was going to be this big uprising and that, that Jesus would ultimately overthrow uh, the Roman government and, and release the Israelites from their captivity. And, and so... Um, so they're being persecuted because they didn't want, you know, the, the people that were sort of in authority and in power, they wanted to squash this. They didn't want it to grow. They didn't want it to expand. And, um, but it never stopped them. And so in Acts 5 verse 42, we read day after day. So you see this pattern continuing day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. Listen, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, he didn't meet the Israelites' expectations of the Messiah, but he was the Messiah nonetheless. He came to liberate them and free them from oppression and slavery to sin, and he rele- and was released. And so this is this pattern of the New Testament church. And we see this over and over as you continue to read through Acts, this sense of gathering together and then scattering, gathering together and scattering. And wherever they went, they took the opportunity to tell others about Jesus. And in, in Acts chapter 7 then, Stephen makes a speech to the San, Sanhedrin, and they're so upset about this that they drag him outside and they stone him to death. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it begins, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so it goes all the way back to Acts chapter 1 when Jesus says, Listen, you're going to have power. You're going to be my witnesses. And it was like, Okay, we're getting out of Jerusalem because it's not safe to be here. And so they flee to Judea and Samaria, and that's where they're scattered. And verse 4 tells us what they did. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And the message of the gospel spread because of the faithfulness of those who had been scattered to be on mission. They were faithful to their calling. They did what they needed to do, and they gave testimony to what God had been doing in their lives. And friends, it's interesting to note that under real persecution, when your very life is at stake, it always seems like the church flourishes and explodes. And, and one of the things that, that people, like stories are coming out of places like Iran where, where the church is absolutely exploding, where it is illegal to be a follower of Jesus. And you suffer, you face the real physical consequences of that if you profess faith in Jesus Christ. 
We have Iranian refugees in our church for that very reason, because they fled that persecution. It's a real thing. But when your lives are at stake, you've got to wonder, why are people so upset about this? <laughs> and the church is exploding, and they don't even exactly know how it's exploding. But I suspect there's not a lot of large group gatherings, but guess what? They're meeting in their homes, and somebody's talking to a neighbor. And this community is taking care of each other when they get into trouble. There's somebody there that comes along, along, alongside them and helps them out. And it becomes attractive to other people because they can come alongside and care for others and be cared for as well. And so as we move on in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 19 through 21, now those who had been scattered by this persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, it's an island in the, in the Mediterranean Sea, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And I love this. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord right? They didn't do it in their own strength. They, they did it through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit went ahead of them and softened people's hearts and created a, a desire for this message. And when the message was shared, it rang so true to them that they gave their life to Jesus Christ, all because the Lord's hand was with them. And as a result, the church grew and expanded. And By the way, it seems that already in Acts, gathering together on the Lord's Day started to become a bit of an established pattern. Yes, there was this day after day, but there was a a significant aspect of this weekly rhythm of gathering. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, that Sunday, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, so he had so much to tell them, he was leaving the next day. Guess what? He kept on talking until midnight. And you thought our messages were long. Well, we're not going to keep you to midnight. Um, but you know what? You really got to go read the rest of that story. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Are you familiar with it? I got to tell you this real quick. It's great. There's a guy, a, little, a young man named Eutychus. Remember the story of Eutychus? He's sitting in the windowsill listening to Paul. And I love this line. It says, as Paul went on and on, you kind of get this, okay, we get it. Like, just get on with it. He falls asleep. He falls out of the window, three stories up, falls to his death. And of course, Paul prays for him, brings him back to life. Paul eats a little bit and keeps going until daylight. So it wasn't just till midnight. He kept going until the next, the next morning. Anyways, great story. Read it for yourself. All of that to say, here's this example of the early church that gathered and scattered and gathered and scattered and then were scattered because of persecution. But even in those places that they were scattered, they gathered together. And that's what we do as a church. We follow that example. We, we gather and we scatter and we gather and we, we scatter. And one of my great joys on a Sunday morning, <clears throat> it still is, it's just a little bit different, but, but you know, when we would have hundreds of people 
200, 300, 400, and 500 people coming, and we would be in the conference room before the service, praying for the service, and you could just hear the door after door and people greeting one another, and, and there was just this excitement, or you'd look out the window and you'd see people even walking from all these different streets in the community, or maybe they parked down the street and they're coming to church, and it was just this gathering of God's people, and it was exciting, and it is exciting. It's good to come together. But then what do you do the rest of the six days of the week? We're we're scattered. And so we see this rhythm of gathering and scattering and gathering. And it just struck me, it's almost like the heartbeat of the church. It's just like gather and scatter and gather and scatter. And we have this. And so when we scatter, what do we do? As I said, I... I I want us just to focus on this piece of encouragement today. What do we do? How can we be real practical about this? I mean, we can talk about vision statements and mission statements and all of that, and I think our mission statement is, in fact, quite practical. We talk about knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, and sharing Jesus. That's our mission as a church, and I think if if we even adopt that in our own life to say, yeah, I'm going to focus my life that's going to give some meaning to my life where I am knowing Jesus, where I'm walking with Jesus, where I may be even walking with Jesus in the company of others. We'll talk about that. But we're also sharing Jesus. And not just the truth of who he is, but that we actually represent Jesus, that we serve other people on behalf of Jesus. And so when we are scattered, what do we do? And I'm going to just give you two things with some subpoints under each of those. The first is that we're spiritually formed. That, that, that what the church does when we're scattered, when we're off on our own maybe, that, that we recognize, we take responsibility for our own spiritual formation. Now that happens even when we gather, part of worshiping and praying and sitting under the teaching like this, that's part of our formation, but that's not enough. We, we, we can't just, you can't just rely on a 30, 40 minute message once a week, uh, you know, maybe missing a few Sundays here and there, and, and think that somehow the, that you'll be formed over a lifetime of that. Got to be way more intentional about that. This idea of being spiritually formed, where we spend time with Jesus in order to become more like Jesus. And over time, just being faithful to, to this spiritual formation that the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives, where we, we just recognize that we're formed when we follow the way of Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you three um, elements that I think are just absolutely necessary to this that I hope will just kind of give you some things to hang your hat on this morning. And the first thing that we do under the spiritual formation is that we commit ourselves to teaching or to the apostles' teaching, much like the early church was. That we, that we become a lifelong learner because, as I said, there's so much for us to learn. We just don't know it all. And, uh, and that's why one of our focuses as a church is to, is to bring resources, and, and, and Pastor Adam in particular, his gift of teaching, he loves teaching. And so these um, equipped classes that we've been now offering for, for the last three or four years, um, and even now there have been some ongoing that are online, they're available um, uh, also on YouTube, those kind of places. It's about teaching and you taking personal responsibility for, for doing more than just um, a Sunday morning message. Maybe you listen to get into the habit of some podcasts. Adam takes all those equip uh, classes and puts them into podcast form. But if you're familiar with podcasts, you know you can listen to just about anybody. Um, and as long as they're good, solid 
Bible-based teaching, it's good for you. Engage in those things. Last week, we introduced you to Right Now Media, which is just this, this huge resource of video teachings by various Bible teachers, and there's Bible studies and topical studies, and, and it's just a phenomenal resource where you can say, you know what, I, I'm a little foggy about things like heaven. And then you can just say, you know what, I'm going to dial into one of these studies and find something about that. You can search it by, by, uh, um, by topic and all those kind of things. So we're spiritually formed when we regularly engage in teaching learning opportunities. Secondly, um, we're spiritually formed when we engage in community. And this is also a form of gathering, but it's maybe not in the large group as much as it is in the small group. And the whole point of this is just understanding that we were wired for relationship, that we need to be in relationship with other believers. We're never meant to do the Christian life on our own. Yes, we're called to Christ individually, but then we live that out in community. And so um, these are things like friendship, but not just friends for the sake of having friends to you know, talk about whatever, but this is having that deep spiritual friendship where you both know that you're believers in Jesus Christ, you want to encourage one another, and so yeah, maybe you go for a walk, but you talk about what you read in the scriptures that morning, what you're learning as you're sitting under, listening. You know, I'm listening to this great podcast, this is what it's doing in my life, it's really revealed this, and you start sharing deeper about what God's doing in your life, and then you pray for one another. That's the kind of spiritual friendship that I think we all need. Now, of course, that can happen in the context of various small groups and even at the church, whether that's even men's prayer who come together um, Tuesday mornings at 6 or women who gather together in these refresh groups that, uh, that Anne leads. This is a time for you to gather in community so that you can process what God is teaching you and what you're learning. One of the things we, we probably don't talk enough about Uh, about is something that we encourage um, by not talking about it very much is triads. And triads is simply um, exactly what it describes. Three people try um, coming together for the purpose of accountability and encouragement. And again, it's not just having breakfast together and it's not just, um, you know, talking about the Oilers win last night, although that was a pretty great win, wasn't it? Um, But it is recognizing that we need to sharpen one another. And the best way to do that is just to pray about, God, who maybe is a friend already? And, uh, and you say, you know what? Let's, let's step this up a notch. Let's be really intentional about our spiritual journeys. And let's engage in some level of accountability. And uh, so let's, let's get together. But let's then, as the two of you come together, then you pray for a third person. And then you add that third person. There's nothing magic about the three, but you start adding four, five, and six together, scheduling becomes an issue and all those other things. It's hard enough sometimes with three. But think about that, and we can give you some resources if that's something that you're interested in. And again, it's about being intentional, about um, taking responsibility for your own spiritual formation. And the last thing that we need to do, a necessary element, is spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, sometimes they're called, that these become a regular part of our lives, that there's a regular routine to that. We introduced the church, um, and I say we, uh, Pastor Adam and I did a, a message together, if those of you who saw that, at the end of December. And so if 
you haven't seen that and you want another resource, go to the last Sunday in December and watch this message on a rule of life. And rule of life, note it's singular, it's not rules of life, it's not like this checklist of activities you do, but it's this understanding that a rule of life, it comes from the Latin word regula or regulation is the English word we get from it. It, it really refers to a straight piece of wood. Um, it's often used as a trellis in a vineyard. And so the vine, instead of it just kind of falling on the ground and being trampled on and and not really flourishing and thriving. The way that we flourish and thrive in our spiritual lives is when we have a trellis, we have some kind of structure, we, we we, we develop regular rhythms, and, and this trellis allows the, the vine to grow. And if you read John 15, 16, 17, where Jesus talks about abide in me, um, that's really, there's a great metaphor there about understanding the significance of this um, rule of life, where we intentionally engage in practices like scripture reading, regularly, daily, silence, solitude, Sabbath, prayer. Out of prayer maybe flows confession, um, you know, understanding the importance of fasting. But we do all of those things, not as a checklist, not as a thing to do, but as a recognition that when we do those things, the Holy Spirit uses those practices to form us and to shape us. And so we need to be intentional about our spiritual formation. And so when the church is scattered, we are about spiritual formation. And secondly, we are on mission. We are on mission. Because when we scatter, we go to places where we have influence. And this is where life as a follower of Jesus really gives you purpose and meaning and direction in life. And, and you, you recognize that it's not just about, you know, getting an education, getting a job, retiring, and, and whatever. It's, it's through the sequence, through the course of life, what is it that God is using you to do? And I, I, you know, I think sometimes we complicate this so much and we start praying about what is God's will for my life and how should I honor and please Him? And it's very simple. Two things, obey Him and do good. Do good. Um, it's not complicated. And uh, I read this, like this verse, it just jumped out at me. Acts 10.38, Peter is speaking, and he actually says this about Jesus. And, and hopefully it hits you the way it hit me. God anointed, listen to this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, if you think the Trinity is kind of confusing and it's hard to wrap your mind around it, you're absolutely right. It's a difficult theological concept to understand. But here is God the Father anointing Jesus, his Son, with the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes power. And he, that's Jesus, went around doing good. Doing good. What did he do? He fed the 5,000. He, he healed people. And it goes on, and healing all who were under the power of the devil. He, he released them from that bondage. And why? Because God the Father was with the Son. It's just this incredibly intricate relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when I thought about that, here's Jesus. He went around doing good. 
we, 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 we sometimes we don't, don't you think that? Like, am I the only one? Maybe I'm the only one. Uh, I'm just, I was fascinated by that. Just this idea that, that, you know, we, we, we kind of put Jesus on this pedestal. Yeah, we want to be like him. And, and you know, what would Jesus do? You know what Jesus did? He did good things. He helped people. He stood up for the marginalized. He was there to bring healing and health, and I would say restoration. And as followers of Jesus, we too are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's His power that is at work within us so that He can work through us. And we are empowered to do good because guess what? God was with us. God is with us. And so wherever we go, we're on mission. We represent Jesus to others there. We're his representatives. Uh, Corinthians talks about we're his ambassadors. And so where do we go? Where do we go on mission? Just think about it. When you leave here today, where are you going? Most people are going home. Right? We can't go to restaurants. But you're going home. And even there is, 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 a, is a mission field. Because whether it's a believing spouse, whether it's an unbelieving spouse, whether you have kids or older kids or younger kids, it, it, it's in that context that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds as well, where we can help one another in our spiritual walk. Maybe your spouse isn't a believer, and I want to suggest to you today very carefully, but that maybe instead of like trying to, you know, um, let me choose my words carefully, nag them <laughs> or her, you just serve them care for him. Demonstrate in your life what the Holy Spirit is doing when you serve your spouse. As parents, we take responsibility for the discipleship of our own children. And man, if there's something that I bet your parents have been challenged with in this season, probably more than ever, is when, you know, as church, we don't have a place to just drop off the kids and then come back and pick them up later. Now we're like, how do we help our kids process this and learn? And what is our role? And how do I um, help them? But we're on mission there in that sense. Secondly, I would say this circle of friends that we might have. Now, this is different than maybe having those spiritual or Christian friendships. This is now friends who don't know Jesus. And, uh, and you just love them. You care for them. You pray for them. You don't have an agenda for them. It's just somebody that God has brought into your life and you have other things that bring you in common, but you don't always have to preach the gospel to them, although there might be opportunity because they're like, why are you so hopeful in the midst of a pandemic? Why do you have joy? Why are you the way that you are? And you can have great conversation. They won't be turned off or put off by it because they know that you love them and you care for them. So what are those friendships like? i got a, a great story that happened in our own home group here over the last couple of weeks. One of our um, members has a friend who has, uh, is going through cancer, has cancer, and um, uh, she asked us like last fall to pray for her friend. And so we've been praying for her friend and praying for his friend, for her friend. And, um, and she was just scheduled for surgery a couple of weeks ago. And so we need to pray for the surgery. Well, it just so happens that one of the members of our home group is also a nurse who works in an operating room in one of the hospitals in Edmonton. What do you think happened? The one 
member of our, of our small group, her friend with cancer, shows up at the operating room with this other one. They've already made the connection. There were texts flying around. The group's praying, and she's able to just walk her through what would be a very, very difficult day as if she was her friend and she had never met her before. But she had prayed for her. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. You don't orchestrate that stuff. You just do good. (laughs) You just care for your friends. Well, a couple more areas. Home, friends, work, and school, right? Uh, Where else are we going to connect with other people? You know, unless we're retired, maybe it's at the pickleball court. I don't know what you do at retirement. Um, Maybe maybe golf, that would be fun. But whatever you do in retirement, um, you recognize that for most of us, what, we're either, what, going to school or we're going to work. That's kind of the way it works. But it's in those places that we have this great opportunity to make a difference in the lives of other people. And again, it's just in the context of doing good. You know what one of the best things you can do? Is just listen and care. Like when you have those conversations maybe in the lunchroom or in the hallway or, or, or in the elevator, if you can have more than one person in the elevator these days. I don't know what the rules are, but you know what I mean, right? You just, you're just rubbing shoulders with people and you serve them. You look for little ways to make a difference. Everybody has a staff room. Maybe there's a pile of dishes in the, in the sink. We have one of those here. <laughs> um, you just do the dishes. That's a good thing. Make a difference in your, in your place. See it as an act of worship rather than, oh, I just go to work and then I divorce it from my spiritual life. No, understand that even in work, we worship. Even at work, we serve and we can do good. Then we have our neighborhood because this is where we live. It's not just with our home or our friends or a place of work, but we live in neighborhoods. And most of us either live in a, in a single-family home or a condo or an apartment, and we have an opportunity to rub shoulders with our neighbors all the time. And we know what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself. It's not rocket science. It's pretty easy where we just look for just any kind of random act of kindness, any way that we can serve our neighbor and just build that relationship. Stop and say hello. Get to know them. Care about them. Find out that maybe their parent that lives in another country is sick or ill or struggling or has passed away. And you have an opportunity to just step in and be there for them and encourage them. And in another way, we can serve our community. Right? Not just the people that live immediately around us that we can get to know their names, but we, we serve our community. Friends, this could be as simple as taking your family out this afternoon, even if you have young kids, and saying, we're going to pick up garbage in the park. Right? It's springtime. It's ex- the snow melting has exposed a mess. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, I was just going to get off on a tangent about like, I'm just like so frustrated every time I see a mask on the ground right now. Anybody else? No, no show of hands. Because it just, it just annoys me to no end. It's just like you know it probably fell. Like maybe it fell out of the pocket. It was an accident or whatever. Just pick up after yourself. But if they don't, friends, then let's just go and clean up the parks. It's such a simple thing to do. Maybe there's something broken at the playground. You're like, you know what? I could fix that. 
Or you can call 311 and report it because probably nobody else is doing it because they're going to somebody else is going to do it. We just, we just, we're just for people. Do you get it? We're just for good. And we serve the community. I didn't ask him if I could say this, and I might embarrass him by, by doing this, but I was talking with Pastor Adam about this, and, uh, um, and he was talking about taking Libby, and Pastor Adam, they just live across the street, and they just go down to the park over here by Esther Starkman on the corner, and it's springtime, it's messy. So he's, he's picking up garbage with two-and-a-half-year-old daughter watching and helping and cleaning up the playground. And he recognizes that the slide is all muddy because it's springtime and somebody on there got in their boots and they went down the slide. It was muddy. So what did he do? He took a camping pail full of hot water and went and washed the slide so that other kids could use it. Who was going to come and do that? But these are just those simple, practical things that we can all do um, to make a difference. And the only way that we will make a difference in our city is if we start by making a difference on our street. Do that first. The city has this great um, program. Maybe you've heard about it. They actually have resources called a resource guide for block connectors, where you can be the point person where you get to know people, you get to know their names, you're the party person, that sounds like fun, and you're a listener. I think they're onto something. And it's all under an initiative called Abundant Community Edmonton. Because they see the value of people caring for people and knowing who those people are. Friends, we need to be about this restoration and about healing and about health. That we recognize that when we do good, we can help make the world a better place. When we see injustice, we step in. When we see the poor and the marginalized and the refugee and the widow and the senior and the single mom, we can make a difference by just simply doing good and caring for them. And we care about the things and the people that Jesus cared about. And if we don't know what those things are, all we need to do is ask Jesus. I want to seek first your kingdom, Jesus. What does your kingdom look like here on my street in this community? Pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. You get the point. I'm going to wrap it up really quickly with this. I think we know this. I think we instinctively know this. And you're like, okay, yeah, you've gone on about this. I get it. Why is it so hard? Just like Pastor Adam last week talked about some things that contribute to our, our neglect, let me just give you three quick things in what I think are some obstacles that we come up against. And number one is hurry sickness. We, we just rush and rush, and we don't know why. <laughs> I think I just quoted a country song. It's true, I did. How does it go? I rush and rush until life's no fun. Is that really what it's, what it's all about? But we're often so busy... That, that we neglect to do the very things that we know will form us, that we're too busy to stop and talk to our neighbor? Well, guess what? COVID has changed all that. But honestly, here's my concern about this, is that if we don't think through some of the rhythms and routines of our lives, when a lot of things are stripped away, all, all the extracurricular stuff is stripped away, if we don't do it now and kind of get it sorted out now, I don't know if we ever will. 
And there's often you hear people talk, I can't wait until we get back to what? Normal. I want to ask you seriously, how good was your normal? Did that normal routine help you thrive and flourish? Did it it put you in a place where you helped others thrive and flourish? If it didn't, if those things were working against you, maybe you should never pick those things up again. So hurry sickness. Two, isolation and loneliness. Because from that hurriness, I think we get very tired. Sometimes we withdraw into our own little world. I know some of that's kind of forced upon us right now. But what if we thought about what we can do rather than what we can't do right now? Don't isolate yourselves from the very relationships that will help form you and focus our mission on. I had a conversation last fall with a gentleman that's older than me. He was going through a really, really hard time. And he said this one line that has, I've, not, I've not been able to shake. He says, I have no friends. It's heartbreaking. And if that's you, I want to say this very carefully, but only you can do something about that. People won't necessarily pick up going, oh, I think he's lonely. I think she's lonely. I wonder if she needs a friend. No. Let's just be a friend and take the initiative and do good. And then very quickly, (laughs) uh, I'm scared to even say this one, but just escapism. And there's so much that has been been said lately and people have been writing uh, about this, but... um, you know, the smartphone is, is a great thing. We make phone calls. We're easily in contact with people we're touch. I have my, my Bible app on there. It can be used for a lot of good things. But you also know that it can just suck you in. <laughs> and you can escape into some mind-numbing scrolling through feeds. And, and, and you know what? Those things are invented and designed to keep you there and suck you in reading the things that you need to read, or, oh, you might be interested in this, right? You can get on YouTube and you watch a video and suddenly on the right-hand side, oh, you might also be interested in this because they know you watch this. Certainly, oh, that looks interesting. And, uh, and I just read a quote. I'm going to get this kind of wrong, but John Piper spoke at a conference then he was being interviewed after, and he was talking about this. He said this very thing. This is a good device. He says, but don't waste your life. And he uses this phrase, careful, he says, don't dink your life away on the internet watching videos all night. And I'm even afraid to say that publicly because of the accountability that my family puts me under now. Because I can f- succumb to that just as easily as the next person. And friends, we have to understand it. I do believe it's a waste of time. And... Uh, uh, can just be so distracting. So be careful. That's all I'm trying to say is be careful to the things that contribute to our neglect of spurring one another on to do good things. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us. That as we've gathered together, whether it's here in person or online, we've gathered around screens and devices, maybe as a family or maybe by ourselves. And Lord, I have a sense that there's just a bit of maybe feeling like we drank from a fire hose today, just so many ideas, so many things to think about. 
And it is a broad subject, but Lord, if we just boil it down and say, you know what? I am going to take responsibility today for my spiritual formation. And I am going to seek out how you have put me on mission. I'm going to be intentional about these things. But Lord, I pray that we would understand that without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we just go through more activity. And so I pray, Father, that your spirit would take this teaching, that it would maybe take community and some conversation, that as we engage in some of the practices even that we talked about today, that we would just experience what it is that you are desiring to do in our lives and through our lives. And Father, help us to not waste our lives. You've called us, you've empowered us, you've sent us out to do good. And so help us to trust you, Lord, 